All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. This time around, episode number 81. Man, here we go. Uh, less than 20, that's 19 now. 19. And then it is episode 100. We're thinking that's going to be in January, so we're getting ready for that. But before we get ready for that, we've got something going on today. We're doing another In the Bivouac, and this time we're going international. Pre-recording this, it's 9 p.m. here in San Diego. And we're going international all the way across the pond. We're going to be talking to Willem Abinant. Bright and early in the morning, 6 a.m. for him. But we're going international. We're talking rally raid. Willem been working on a few different projects, a few different things going on, including the Karoo Roadbook Camp, some electronic roadbook holders. So absolutely excited to have him on the show and talking a little bit more about rally on the other side of the world. Get some of that insight. What do those guys do over there versus what we are doing over here? So absolutely excited. Hope everybody's been keeping up. We're counting down. It's almost go time for the Kota rally. We're about, uh, what is that? About a week away. August 1st was the last day to get, uh, get in on that one. So looking forward to seeing how this shakes down over the next few weeks. And then don't forget, we do have at the end of September... Nora 500, and then we're also getting into the Baja Rally, the beginning of Rally Month. So stay tuned. we got a lot of stuff coming up. But in the meantime, before we get to all of that, let's get to Willem. Willem, you there? Yo, man. Hi, Victor. How are you? <laughs> Doing well yourself, sir? Yeah, good, man. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, yeah, Th- thank you for <laughs> for waking up at you know super early to get on the uh, on the horn with us. No man, it's absolutely a pleasure and a privilege. I have been listening to your podcast for so long, so I'm I'm honored to be on it, man. And and right off the bat, before we get into anything, I just want to thank you for going through all the trouble and effort to do this. You know, I I know it's a it's a hard, selfless, well, like yeah, it's a, it's a tough job to do, and I really appreciate it from from everybody that I know in the rally community. You know, they very big fans and listeners of yours so thanks for for doing this you know thanks for bringing it to us all and thanks for making a platform where we can uh, share our experiences and learn from each other absolutely yeah absolutely it's my pleasure and and i'm having fun so (laughs) so it works (laughs) great man nice all right so six a.m we're talking a little bit about that uh earlier you're you're in the winter right now right yeah, we're smack bang in the winter. If you guys hear some chickens in the background, just excuse them. They're busy waking up. Um, we a Southern Hemisphere winter isn't as bad as, as you guys know in the U.S., but uh, it is, it's still harsh. Uh, our houses aren't really insulated uh, and wasn't built for the cold. It was built for the heat. So we we get quite, like, we get below freezing most nights. But again, you know, it's such a big country. It depends where you are. So we, we live up in the middle of in the country in the Karoo. Um, I actually spend my time between here and New Hampshire, so I'm both sides. And uh, we live here at the riding. I, when I went up to, um, we had a training ride with uh, Skylar and Mason in Utah. 
in March. And I could not believe how similar Southern Utah is to where I'm living, you know. So the, to give somebody an idea, the closest thing would be Southern Utah, um, big mountains, scrubland, uh, stuff like that. So that's pretty much the Karoo. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that is, oh, there's got to be some climates. What, what's your guys' heat up there? I mean, when it gets a hot day is what out there? <laughs> A uh, hot day would get over 100 degrees. Uh, I think I'm thinking in, in, in Celsius, so say 40 Celsius is a hot day. Okay. So I think that's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in the 40. summer. Let's see, 40, yeah, good old Google here. Let's do the math. 104, <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, so then it's a it's a dry it's a dry heat. Um, it's not uh, you know it's a it's semi desert. Um, I would say um, weather wise, we can be related to um, Arizona. Okay, uh, so that's not yeah. yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, cold enough in the winter, yeah. but yeah, so good. So yeah. so you guys can ride pretty much year round. Yep. And that's a really big reason I used to live in Cape Town. I grew up in this town where I live now in Marysburg. And big reason moving up here is, you know, when you grow up here, you, you know everybody. And it's not as it would be in Utah or um, Arizona where you have vast tracts of open land. In South Africa, unless it's a national park, all the land is privately owned. Um, so riding is challenging. I mean, you can ride on public roads and there's tons of them mm -hmm. but when you want to get into the gnarlier stuff and you want to do some real training then you kind of have to have access to private land and growing up in a small farming community where all the land is privately owned you know every single farmer you know the the Karoo Road Book Camp for instance is, is 100 dependent 100 dependent on access by the farmers but it creates a scenario for me where I can ride pretty much, you know, for five, six, seven days nonstop and never have to worry about running out of trails. So that's, I've, I've been very privileged and blessed to be in a scenario where I can just ride. Um, the town itself has got a commonage, which is about 4,000 hectares. I don't know acres wise, but that's thousands of acres. Mm -hmm. Um, and anybody can just go and ride on it, you know, so I can get from my, from my garage, I can just get on the bike and I can immediately get riding. I don't have to trailer the bike anywhere or do anything like that. So that's a big plus for, for this area. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and then it makes a big difference because everybody know, like you said, everybody knows everybody. So they understand the, what you're doing and then the respect for exactly. their land and their, their space, which is awesome. I mean, that's 100%. You know, if I ride wherever, you know, you see the farmer and obviously you, I, I, I you have to arrange before the time, like, you know, you have to, they need to know you're there and everything. But, you know, if you find somebody on the road, because it's a small community, everybody's like, Oh, how's it going with this plan? Or how's it going with that? Or how did it go in that race? So it's a very, uh, it's, it's a nice feeling because everybody knows everybody, but people are supportive of it and they, they, they're actually interested in it, you know, and, and having, we had this year at the Karoo Roadbook Camp, we had literally people from all over. We had people from India, people from uh, the US, people from, Zambia, uh, people from the UK and the farmers love it because, you know, they, they get exposure to all of these bikers from all over the world. So it, it's always, it's always nice to see who's, who's going to kind of 
jump out and, and, and be there. And then the farmers like kind of exposing people. Cause I also find in most cases, farmers like to share the nature, like they farmers because they love nature, right? They love the expanse and the, the beauty of it. So most farmers I know like to share that they, they want to share it with people. They don't want to hog it for themselves, but in South Africa, there is obviously, I mean, as in the U.S., there's this huge debate about access to private land. I mean, it's massive. So it is all private land, and it always makes it tricky. You know, it takes one problem, as you guys said, was there one guy misbehaving, and then, you know, you lose the access to that place forever. So it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, out, and you know, it's out here. It's in the name of preserving the land. But, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, and then I go out and, um, you know, I'll, I'll be mountain biking or, or hiking out there and I'm walking by all of these uh, all of these people that <laughs> that pick up their dog droppings uh, and put them mm-hmm. in a bag and then just leave the bag there. Mm-hmm. I go, wait yep. a minute. So you just yep. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I'm like, I, okay, that... never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, yeah, I think we if we start getting into that. We're going to get completely yeah. sidetracked by the dog Be- guys. But yeah. <laughs> all right but before we before we get back you, i just want to quickly add to that because it's something that i'm definitely not an ecologist right but mm-hmm. the debate as to sensitivity of land and motorbikes right mm-hmm. i live in a we, this area the Karoo is highly it's a highly sensitive area you know we have the scrubs take five six seven eight years to grow properly mm-hmm. um further down to the tankwa we have the tankwa rally that that same thing you know there it's even worse because there's almost no rain you know and every year i am amazed because you know I, I I love you. I love it. I don't want to mess up the environment. Um, and I have for years had thought that, look, bikes are super destructive until I started doing these road boot camps. And if we put 20 bikes through an area, again, you know, not tearing it up, but riding through an area, if I come back the next year, Victor, I can't see that there were bikes, you know. In, in many instances, I can't even see tracks. Um, so I think a lot of the times we overestimate how much damage we're causing. Um, and, and I, I, maybe there's a biker out there. that's an ecologist or somebody that's better qualified than, than you and me that can maybe do a study for us or, or, or just look into it because this idea that bikes just mess up the environment. I, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to that because I see it with my own eyes. It, you know, yes, if I stand there and I do a burnout, the next year there might be a indent in the soil, but, uh, and there'll be some erosion, but, you know, I, I think you, must put the 500 bikes through a place before you really start causing damage you know mm. it would be good to get some data on that sorry that yeah. was a sidetrack no that's the dog's fault <laughs> yeah i know right yeah no and i and, and i agree i mean and, and and you can see it i mean and that's something that we've discussed uh when i was when i was privy to the baja rally stuff is that was stuff that was discussed with land management and and the protection agencies down in mexico very specifically mm-hmm. you know the impact the environmental impact that rallies have and and mm-hmm. Very, very different. I mean, they, it was interesting. They had um, one of the uh, the premier racing organizations that organizes the majority of the Baja events down there uh, was in protected land. And they actually, the Environmental Protection Agency in Mexico, sent 
uh, somebody to survey the damage. And I guess they ended up getting stuck and had to stay out there for like two days. Abandoned the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Like it was really bad. And so they got a really Jeez. good, they got a really good idea of how badly, you know, and, and it's just, it's every form of motorsport is a little bit different, but I think of everything rally is going to be the one with the least impact. Um, yeah, definitely saying that uh, from my side, bikes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the cars and the trucks. I mean, that's a different story from like, you know, that's like plowing a field, yeah. but if it comes to bikes, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I still need to see like something, I mean, obviously on a big rally, but again, that's after a hundred bikes has been over it. And then there's cars and trucks, you know, so yeah. I think, but yeah, those trucks, those trophy trucks is a different, different yeah. kettle of fish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's basically a track thousand horsepower tractor with, you know, four, four shovels at a time and now they're all wheel exactly. drive. So it's even worse, but so let's rewind it a little bit. Uh, let's talk uh Karoo Roadbook camp. How did that get started? What, what is yep. that about? So, you know, I, I do a lot of different things for, let's say, compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and my the Karoo Roadbook Camp was my kind of giving back idea for the for the rally community. Um, obviously, there's a cost to it. It's not free, but it's not a venture that I, I run for profit. Um, and the reason that was came about is because that my passion – is getting people, more people into rally, you know, that that's my, I wouldn't say my life goal, but that makes me happy. You know, it makes me happy to go to a race and see somebody there that, that I introduced to rally. Um, it gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling. And, um, the Karoo Roadbook Camp started literally as a as a group of friends that we prepared for the Kalahari Rally. We were uh, Team KTM Cape Town, basically, and I thought, well, if we want to have a real shot at, at doing well at the Kalahari Rally, we should have a mini three-day roadbook race between us as team members for training and the shakedown of our bikes and stuff, and I took it upon myself to, to build the roadbooks. Um, that actually came out um, just before, and then with COVID, you know, the race got cancelled and we were like look we're not going to cancel our training because we've put way too much into this we're still going to do it Um, and we were just a small group of friends that got together to do it and then that kind of snowballed from there the next year I think we were 20 or over 20 people Um, and basically it became this thing where you can come and ride a race we do everything we have timing we have tracking uh, we have time cards and it's basically a rally simulation um, so that you don't go to a rally and have all the stress and the worry about a race um, or the cost. Um, and uh, the Sonora Rally does the same thing. Uh, I was there in February kind of helping them out and I'm super, super impressed with that scenario because they run the same thing you know it's like i don't have to stress and worry about racing um i just have to learn how to navigate um and that's that's how it got started you know and obviously grew from there it's it's definitely become my baby nice and that and i mean it's cool so it started off as as just kind of a training and 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 then just like you said just continued to grow from there 
Exactly, yeah. and it's it's to get people into the sport. You know, that's my like I said before. That's my big thing is is I want people to like we've had people at the camp that never goes on and race because it's just not for them. But I rather have them figure that out here or anywhere um, than than you know at a race where they've spent thousands of dollars to be at and then realize they don't like it but there's way more guys that absolutely love it and just you know they go gangbusters um after something like that because they they're so motivated and they're so ready and then you're hungry for racing you know then you then you want to go and do a rally race yeah i think once you once people get over the hurdle of the whole navigation thing and and, mm-hmm. and once they start looking at these boxes and look at the tulip notes and, and can just translate that instantly into what it is, I think that then it opens up like, OK, well, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But if you mm-hmm. if you've never tried to navigate and you're looking at these things, you're going, mm, this makes no sense. It's it's intimidating. And I, I think the way that I explain it to guys is just like, you know, this is a treasure hunt or geocaching on for grown-ups on motorbikes yeah. you know this is that's well what better sport is there in the world like yeah, exactly and i mean and, and you know we've it's been a reoccurring theme as like it brings a whole nother element to the competitiveness you know you you've seen the baja races and you've seen all of that stuff and and we've talked about it a lot on the show and it's like it's sprint racing versus this now becomes more of a chess game it's not checkers. It's Definitely. Chess. You know, you have to be it's able a, to It's the great equalizer for the sport, you know. Like I, I would I would put it in terms of if it wasn't for Ellie, I would never even probably be into motorcycling. I mean, I grew up with Dakar and loving that and wanting to one day do it. And you know, I've I'm not a I'm not a competitive racer. I'll never be a professional racer. Um, but I like going fast on a motorbike. And what I discovered through the rallies that I've done and competed in is is that, you know, if you can manage to be consistent, you know, I, I class classify myself as a fairly average rider. But if I can finish every stage then you know i i will be somewhere on the finishers list and more more often than not you're probably in the top 15 top 10 depending on the size of the race just by finishing consistently every day and once that kicks in once you realize that you know i don't have to be the world's fastest rider i just need to be navigating and i just need to be consistent you know that is it's crazy i had a i had a scenario at one of the kalahari rallies where there was a a guy I, I didn't at the time know that you used to be an old South African racing champion. And this guy tore past me every morning flat out. And I just like, I looked at him and I was like, you know, I'll never catch this guy, but I just carried on plugging along. And then every day at around four or five o'clock in the afternoon, the same bike would come past me again. And I'd be like, man, that guy, you know, came past me at like early this morning and now he's coming past me again. So Technically, I'm ahead of him because somewhere he got there really badly lost. And that kind of things, like, yeah, I, I love it. You know, that I think now with Dakar, it's become way more of a chess game. I think for our average guys, it's it's still consistency and and navigation. If you can do be consistent and navigate, you can compete. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, and it's, 
because it's just that much more effort. Now you're putting if if you're writing fast and you're missing notes and you're missing waypoints, you're going to have to continue to ride fast. You never get that chance to relax. And okay, that's cool for day one and maybe day two. But as the the rally wears on, you're you're physically overexerting yourself every single day by doing that. Where if you know take a mm-hmm. second, sit down clean navigation and then go when you can. I mean, you, you get opportunities, right? We know you, you can see, Mm -hmm. it tells you right there on the road book, how far it is to the next tulip, you know? So Mm -hmm. those golden nuggets where you, because people always were like, when strangers ask me like, Oh, so you into rally and he's like, it's super fast and dangerous and stuff. I was like, look, and all they see is that the helicopter shot of Mason or Ricky or whoever going 160, you know? And I'm like, look that those are the golden nuggets every rally racer lives for. Mm -hmm. But you know, that is a few blocks on a scroll of hundreds of tulips yeah. that that's not the race. And I, I think even in the public's eyes or people that's not into rally, that's the, that's a big misconception. You know, they think we all sit there flat out all day long. And it's like, you know, those, those are the moments you live for when, when there is a chopper to catch it. But the, the rest of the time, I mean, it's, it's fairly slow. I mean, the U S races, I think are much faster. I mean, U S racing because of your, background in in the sprint races and the hare and hounds and the bajas you know definitely the u.s is is kind of it's like uh, when you cock a gun you know you so you have a magazine full of extremely talented riders that's going to get into the rally racing scene and they're just going to blow the world away just because you have the numbers as far as people and you have the racing experience because racing in the U.S. is hard. It's tough, mm-hmm. you know. So it's 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 a you, you, it's a different mindset of racing that doesn't exist. I mean, of course, we have tough races in South Africa. Of course, there's tough races in, in Europe and in Australia and all of that. But it's more the culture. Your culture of racing is the the that flat out sprint racing and. You know, you just, there's no complaining. There's no, you just, the race, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. If, you, if you're not up for it, then, and that's something that takes a lot of mindset. So your rallies obviously is also much, much faster than, than many other rallies because we all, I mean, the Karoo Road Camp, for example, is more like a, an enduro, you know, um, not that it's an enduro. I don't want to scare people, but it's all about making it more technical to slow down the entire thing. Um, the Tankwa rally we have out down in the tank i mean that's that i mean even i got at some point i was like man i need a two-stroke for this um and i think you mentioned kota i i'm very excited i am coming to kota i haven't competed but i am getting the feeling that you know kota is kind of also going the the more technical slower route rather than the flat out route um Oh, Mike, Mike the, proudly the, says that <laughs> this, is a, this so, isn't for the six nineties. <laughs> so that's, and then I think that's fine. You know, I, I, the, the most interesting for me thing for me is that every rally has got its own personality. And, and I've realized that re, the word rally is almost too broad because, you know, every single event is completely unique and completely different. So, 
I'm very, I'm very excited for the the Kota. I'm also doing Baja six days and Sonora, so I'm calling it like the US Rally season. You know, I want to come out there and and see how how you guys do it, and 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 hopefully, you know, bring more South Africans over. Um, while we on that topic, you know, must give a massive shout out to Freedom Rally Racing. They've really come onto the scene this year with a bang. Um, and they really, they're really helping me out big time. So freedom, thank you so much for your help and support. And, and, you know, they have a vision, you know, they, and they want to, they want to be like the best support you can get in the, in North America, you know, and, and they are definitely going for it. So they also going to play a role into making rallies more accessible for, for people who want to ride. So Hopefully, I'll see all of you guys there at all of these races and uh, have a good chat and a good laugh and a good ride together. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Right. I've been going through the paperwork for Kota. Man, <laughs> it's a yeah. lot to do. <laughs> Mike, Mike runs a very tight ship on that on that rally, which is awesome. I mean, he, he needs to, but then again, he also broke through so many barriers to actually be able to do an event, you know, stateside. Mm-hmm where they don't know mm-hmm. and, I, and and i'm happy he he did it but you mentioned something you know that, that's interesting in bringing you know bringing more of the the south african crowd uh over to these rallies what is rally like over there you know is everybody into r- rally raids or or you know what's kind of the it's okay so it's it's growing i would say fairly it's growing rapidly it's growing at the speed i would say that rally is growing in in the u.s um I'm going to give you a quick kind of background to what it looked like in South Africa. It's, it's, it is an obscure sport anywhere, right? I mean, even in the U.S., you tell somebody I'm into rally and they think you're going to Sturgis, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it, you, you have to, you have to be True. clear what you do. So, so I would say, so the, it started, the rally scene in South Africa started with a race called the Amageza and the Amageza was run um, very, very, uh, it was, a, it was the old school rallies, you know, and it, it, it really shifted boundaries. You know, it went into Botswana and, you know, you, you literally, the, the kind of uh, concept of racing be- between wild animals, you literally raced where there was lions. Like if you broke down, they were going to eat you. Um, and Alex um, uh, organized that, and um, he really he did a. I mean, there was a lot of up and downs in the organizing, but the point is he did it right, and he did it for many years fairly successfully, uh, to the point that I think at one of the Amagezas there were over a hundred bikes, which for South Africa is just mind blowing, right? I mean, people came from overseas for these races. Then Alex unfortunately passed away in a gyrocopter accident and rally kind of died, not died, but there was no rally. There was no roadbook rally in South Africa. Then a guy called Garth Roberts uh, took it up to do the Kalahari rally. Um, and he did, I think three Kalahari rallies. I did two of them. Um, and it was very successful. It was really tough. I, it was a proper six day racing in the sand. And uh, I had the guys, there were guys from all over. There was a, a few guys that's done. I think the one guy did 10 Dakars and he was like, you know what? 
this is way tougher than Dakar, but it was only six days versus 10. And the main reason why it was tougher is because we didn't use rally comps or ERTF or anything. So you didn't know where your waypoints were. You had waypoints on a GPS um, and you had to get them, but, you know, it takes a lot of, of planning and organizing to figure that one out if it's just on a normal e-trex or something like that. So that was that was the like let's say chapter two in South African rally history, and then all of, between both of those. So those were the big multi-stage day rallies, um, and then there's another smaller race um, called the Tankwa Rally, which is like I mentioned before, it's a bit more of an enduro type thing. You know, it's it's tough. It is really tough. It's three days. But it's tough. Um, it it it's hard. Um, so I would say that the the scene here, the rally idea here, is definitely been up to now to make it as difficult as possible. And now with the next kind of evolution, uh, we have the Chrono Rally that's run by Sean Creel. Um, we've done the roadbooks for the for the Chrono Rally. And Sean's approach is a bit different. You know, he's like, no, no, let's get people into it. Let's not make it as hard as possible. Let's uh, let's try and open it up for people with 890s and so, what's it, seven, um, 790s and 700s and 690s and whatever. Let's, let's, let's get more people involved. Um, so it's a three-day event. It's called the Chrono Rally. It's literally this week. I'm busy packing right now for it. Um, and that's going to be, we'll see, it's in the Northern Cape of South Africa. So it's going to be phenomenal because it's almost, we have uh, the, it's called Namakwa land and it's a, it's an area that's famous for its flowers and the flower season starts right now. So you have everything. You've got fast, wide open roads. You've got coast, you've got river. Um, so you do three massive loops, um, in the North of South Africa, um, so that's exciting, and that's that. That's now the current evolution where we are with competitive racing. Um, as far as motor, and I have to be very clear, the motorbike rally is concerned. You know, we have a lot of off-road races and rallies. Not not so much rallies as races on road books for cars. But I, I'm focused on on bikes. So that's a quick recap of the of the history of of rally racing in South Africa. Nice. So it so it's just been in chapters and I, but I, I from those rallies the last one you mentioned is the I I like the idea behind that is you know obviously we've been talking about it is how how big that middleweight adventure bike class is and the need for them to do something else here they here they're entering them in in hair scrambles and there's really no mm-hmm. other big events that they they can do with them the KTM adventure rally and stuff like that but uh, as far as you know the most popular bikes you see them. I mean, you see them everywhere now, especially the Tenere mm-hmm. 700, which, you know, I, I think definitely bought into or took a chunk out of KTM's market share, but Big I, chunk, yeah. they need more, they need more to do. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I think they're on the right track by trying to get those guys involved. Definitely. And I mean, the, 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 the adventure market is so big, uh, Victor, I mean, you and I were talking about it earlier, you know, but there's, there's, and, and, and I think that's going to be almost the overlooked side of the sport that uh, so far we've been focusing on, 
on let's call it athletes you know but if if you look at the pool of people with adventure bikes and you just think about how many potential future riders can come out of that you know into rally you know it's huge um and that's why i really think that you know we're at the cusp of i wouldn't say an explosion but definitely we're at the start of a new phase in in, in worldwide rally i mean even if you look at dakar's entries you know they, it's never been as high as it is now you know people are clamoring uh, to to go to Dakar and do these big races because it's the sport is growing you know it's it's there so yeah. and it's just a matter of it's just a matter of time and then and not only that but finding uh, the people connecting the people that want to get into it with the people that already know and kind of know, know the path and mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think is kind of a, a entry barrier like what do you have you identified something that keeps people back definitely yeah no look i've i i think because i i want to expose people to it the the, the barriers to entry is always something i look at <laughs> and i look it's, it's it's to me it's two things it's money uh because you know rally is expensive we're not gonna like even discuss that it's it's an expensive sport and unless you are prepared to part with some dollars you know you got you're gonna struggle to enter an event so it is expensive but you know i i mean famously i've spoken to a, a lot of people that you know they they're not well of people but they're big in the rally right but you know the sacrifices those guys make you know the, how hard how much harder they work to earn that extra money you know it's it's insane so we can't get away from it. it. It's expensive. If I really want to do it, I'm going to work my ass off to be able to afford it. That That's basically that part of it. But that's a big barrier to entry. And the, so part of that expense normally is your navigation equipment. And I've been really working hard on on bringing that down. So that, that's a, discuss, a separate point or discussion that I'll touch on now. So that's, that's the one entry. And then the other barrier, I think, is that people are a little bit wary or scared of, of rally because they think it's extremely, extremely difficult, and and fair enough, it is difficult. But like you and I were chatting earlier, you know, it's it's about just making the connection that it's challenging, but it's not undoable. So a lot of people that once they understand what rally rate is, they're like, whoa, no, no, I'm not going to take a chance on that. That's way too difficult. And I think that's so. Those to me are the two barriers of entry, which. If we're going to start having seeing events, like I, I think you mentioned, you mentioned that you're looking at, at planning something that's going to, you know, be a bit more adventure friendly, but expose people to rally, um, or like what we do with the training camps. That that's going to be that's one thing to get over that hurdle, and then the next hurdle is is the cost. And there, I see the digital roadbook uh, revolution to be the the answer. Let, and and I, you mentioned it, and it's a very, very good point. So let's talk a little bit about it because you, you've been kind of spearheading uh, a setup for, uh, for digital roadbook navigation. Definitely, yeah. Look, that, that's, it's one of my big, big passions as well is the digital roadbook um, for various reasons. But it, it started with getting more people into it. You know, I literally had a guy uh, on a 1290 and I literally put Rally Navigator on his phone and 
I just sent him on a liaison, you know, and this guy loved it. And I was, I realized that, you know, we have all the tech at our fingertips, you know, and I like a bit of tech. I'm, I'm definitely not like a professional, but I like gadgets and techy stuff. So I embarked on this thing of saying that, you know, what can I do? How can I build a digital roadbook that is affordable to, to most people and that that was the key that that was the thing for me is you know when I bought my first rally bike I was so intimidated by all the wires and the and the the icos and the this and the that and the different connections you know now I mean to to put it in perspective to find a, a four pin or a three pin m8 connector in south africa and we're a fairly advanced country you know is hard you know you i don't walk into a shop and find an m8 connector um so you know you have to bring all of these components together and every time i go to a race and okay so i'm now interrupting myself but that was another one is roadbooks break right they break all the time and the few times that i've done well on a stage the roadbook breaks and i end up having to scroll with my hand um and i've had friends that had really really bad crashes because they were scrolling with their hands because the switch broke so i was just like you know this thing is a good idea but this is not like this can be better this can be way better um so it was a combination of all of that stuff and just say like how can we just make this easier and I've been working with Rally Navigator, so I knew about the Rally Navigator app, um, which I pretty much was only the start of it. You know, we've been I've I've been working with a lot of people uh, with apps and and software, which I, I will I'll tackle the hardware part before we get into the software part. But um, so the key was just to find something that is durable, like super durable, with a bright as bright as possible screen um that you can use as a roadbook and in the us you guys uh, I've, I've got tower one which i think is extremely good i i got to use it and ride with it um and i think it's great that we have different people on different continents spearheading this thing i know tony from rns is also working on it I took a different approach, and, and my approach was that because I want to make it cheaper, I, I don't want a one-use device. I, I want something that I can use for everything or for different things. But as a average Joe, a guy on the street, if he has to part with $1,000, it needs to be something that he can use for different things. Um, and that's why we looked at a more kind of not and, – and, and I – clearly say that you know our device is it's for training i i race with it i feel that it's race worthy but i'm not selling it or or i'm not marketing it as a race device i'm marketing it as a training device and if you feel like it's good enough to race with that's your personal choice i i race with it because i want to prove it can can be done um so it's a tablet, a seven-inch tablet, really hard. I've, 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 I've had a very severe crash, which I broke my ankle with. It put me out for a year now. I've drowned the bike, um, and I've crashed multiple times, not just the, the one time. I've uh, had the bike underwater twice. My original tablet that I had bought to or built to get ready to test, you know, we're still using that. We're still physically running that two years later. Mm -hmm. So I am convinced that it's good enough for people to use. 
Um, and with that, we it's it's an entire ecosystem because we've got the tablet, and then we've got the Bluetooth remote, and we've got uh, the actual mount to mount it on your bike. And what makes it super fun is, you know, I can put it on any bike. I can put it on the two-stroke. All I need is a battery and a handlebar, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's going to drive, not from my side. It doesn't have to be our tablet. You know, it, it, that that's not the point. The point is, all of a sudden, if the tech is there, that if we have a screen and we have battery life, Anybody can write a road book. And that is super exciting to me. That that's that's where the real revolution is going to be. Um, and even in making the road books, you know, so the, the tablet we're running is also a GPS. So, you know, what I say to people is like if you're gonna spend spend money on a Garmin, rather buy a tablet. Again, it doesn't have to be our tablet, a tablet and use it as a GPS and as a roadbook. Um, and it, it also plays a role in making events cheaper because all of a sudden I don't have to, to print thousands of scrolls. Um, it makes it safer because I can now make real-time changes in, in the night before. Um, and it's also people are like, yeah, but it's going to break. And what if it breaks? Then I'm stuck. You know, it's like if you crash – to the point that you're going to destroy your roadbook, which is in the middle of your bike, you would have destroyed a paper roadbook, you know? And then people is like, no, but I can, I can take my, my, the scroll, I can take a piece of paper and I can ride with it and I can look. So I, I, you know, you would know, I mean, it's almost impossible to ride with a paper scroll in your hand, but let's say you get that done. To me, the benefit of an electronic roadbook is that if, if you're allowed to do that with paper, you can just load the PDF on your phone. And if your digital roadbook breaks, at least you've got a phone as a backup. You know? mm-hmm. But that's a, hard, that's a hardware side. Sorry, I'm, I'm ranting, but <laughs> that's, the, that's my feeling about it. Well, and the, I mean, and, and to be fair, the devices have gotten better. I mean, it's not like it, they haven't really gone backwards. So the the waterproofing, the vibration proofing, the standard that that kind of thing, the testing that they're doing on them is, has improved. So definitely, I I agree with you in in that. Yeah, I mean, you can, and I, I I've seen it happen. I mean, I've seen guys at the start of a stage where they had taken a spill, and the worst part about it is, is it's it's not when it's broken so bad that you're asking to see if anybody's got an extra roadbook holder. It's when it's tweaked just enough to not work properly. So the advanced exactly. switch, the motors work, but then it still won't advance because there's a little bit of pressure on it and the belt or the O-ring just slips. Mm-hmm. So I went through one, I think it was one of the Kalaharis in one race over six days. I went through three road books, you know, and it's just like, Come on, man! Like you know, like give me a break. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's always something. There's always something. The, the, a lot of guys swear by MIGTEC. They say that it's because I'm using F2R. <laughs> it's kind of a running joke, I guess. It's the KTM Husky debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, maybe MIGTECs are better. But I, I, I'm on the digital now. That's my, that's my thing. No, and I yeah, or wait wait until Aurora Rally gets in into the mix on that one. Their uh, their roadbook holders are gnarly, but yeah, we'll 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 see. But it doesn't matter. They're going. I mean, we already know the major events are all are all going to work to transition to electronic roadbooks. That's just, 
Definitely. And, how, how and I think the, so if we put the hardware side, uh, let, let's say, okay, you know, we, we all agree that the hardware is out there, whether it's been built or not yet, or doesn't matter who manufactured it, the hardware is on par. We're going to have, there's good enough hardware. The biggest challenge, and it's a big debate in Dakar right now, is the screen. I, I'm happy with our screen. You know, I, 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 most people go on and, and like, it's a, it's a thousand nits, um, in the sunlight. Yes. It has a little bit of a glare at 12 o'clock in the middle of the sun, but you know, a real roadbook also has a glare at 12 o'clock in the sun. And it's, it's that thing where you just make peace with it and you deal with it because that's what we have at the moment. I, I do believe that somewhere, like definitely the screen that we're running is the best screen that I have. I'll, you know, we've, we've tested all of the different devices and this is the, the brightest screen out there that is commercially available. That to me is, is a, a done deal. I do believe that in the future, somebody is going to come up with almost something like a, a, a Kindle screen, you know, something that would be really like, like ink, you know, that, that gives us that next step, but that we, we don't, nobody has that yet. We don't have it. Once that comes, you know, that's going to even up the hardware game much, much more, mm-hmm. but, but stepping away from the hardware side, I think the next big challenge, and that's what everybody's waiting for is the software side. You know, can we get uh rally comp or, or whoever to, to, come to the party and create something where we all use the same thing. And unfortunately, I think that's where, you know, everybody's waiting to see what Dakar is doing. ERTF has a program. Um, I know uh, a noob is working on a program. Um, so we'll see. I, I think the ecosystem, if we can get everybody to work together, I think that ecosystem can further rally, you know, it can further the sport because it will make it easier for everybody. The problem that I see foresee at the moment is that everybody's talking in different directions. You know, people, if all of these major players can come around the table, maybe it's something that you and I should try and arrange, Victor, but if we can get all of these guys around the table and say, hey, let's pool our resources, let's create a, a rally ecosystem that we all use. Man, I mean, we will see the sport explode but at this point everybody's tugging in different directions um and 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 i think that's that the the strongest ecosystem will survive and that's going to but but that competition is putting us back for five years um so we'll see um i'm working with a guy in portugal uh i believe it's portugal terra uh, the, the the app is called Terra Pirata, um, and we've been testing it now. We're actually going to have five or six Chrono uh, uh, events uh, riders riding it at the Chrono, and I'll give you some feedback after that. But you know, there's some real potential there. Really, really enjoy it, and he's, he's really made it like like an ecosystem. You know, you can load a GPX onto a server, and it uh, turns the GPX into a roadbook almost automatically you need to you need to make the roadbook first but you don't load a pdf you load a gpx (laughs) and um, that changes a lot you know you've got a lot of the integration that you would have with most of these devices you have already in the app so but you know he's one of 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 how many people having all of these projects so i wish my dream is that we can get everybody around the table 
Yeah. And, and you know, for the sake, like the organizers and everybody, if everybody is on the same page and there's a standard to it and, and not that, not that you want to dictate how an event is ran or, or anything else, but what we want or what we would, the wish list And the very first thing is, is that from a customer experience side of it. And, and when I say customer, I mean somebody that's new to the sport, that's looking to get into it. Um, that the experience is kind of standardized and they, you know, they know what the road books are going to be like more or less. Right. You know, if it's, you know, mm-hmm. if they say, okay, you know what? Okay. Well for right now, uh, rally navigator is going to be the way to go. A lot of people already use rally navigator, but mm-hmm. that's going to be the standard because tulip is another program that that's been up and coming over here. I don't know if you guys use it over there and, mm-hmm. Yes, you can make a roadbook with it, but is it the advanced tool that Rally Navigator can be? I don't feel it's there yet. It could be there yet, or it could be getting there. But if everybody mm-hmm. just kind of picks that standard, and then you, and then we kind of move forward from there, I think it will be good. Definitely, and, and it will. And this is we. It's like a real opportunity that we have because we're at this cusp of the digital revolution. That this is now the time for us to do it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting to listen to all the different parties. But yeah. you know, you mentioned Rally Navigator. I think we should also just you know give the guys at, at Rally Navigator a massive shout out. I mean, those guys put in so many hours. I, you guys that make roadbooks that's using the new Rally Navigator as a rally navigator too i guess i mean it's just it's just phenomenal it's a game changer so and uh, i chat with them every now and again over email if we pick up a bug or something but i mean geez these guys put in so much time so much effort you know just and the idea of having an open rally to, uh, gpx you know it's just it's revolutionary so from my side you know if it wasn't for rally navigator i wouldn't be making roadbooks you know, without a doubt. So those guys are, it's phenomenal what they do for, right. for the sport and just in general. So shout out and thank you to, yeah. to, to really navigate the developers. You guys rock. Yeah. Mike, Mike Shirley, <laughs> so and I know it's really cool. I know Peckham's got his hands into that one too, but yeah. And, and absolutely agree. I mean, you would think it's such a simple program, but it, it's, it allows you to be, as complicated as you want to be with roadbooks. If you want to go full send, decorate it with everything, I mean, just throw everything at it. You have it at your, you know, right at your fingertips. And that they made it now where you can use it where it's not uh, 100% dependent on an online connection. Um, exactly. It's yep. is absolutely huge. You know, I mean, just mm-hmm. in time for Starlink to be set up. I know Baja Rally and, and well, specifically Lost in Baja's got that Starlink set up. So, yeah, that makes nice. it easier now. But but in previous years, it was like you would hope you would have a great Internet service, even for something as simple as like, I just need to make a liaison for tomorrow, you know, and and that's not going to happen because, well, it's, you know, the Internet's really spotty. It's not working. It's taking forever to load the map, all of that stuff. But, yeah, we definitely the new one is a game changer. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to touch on something because, you know, it's early morning, so the, the mind sometimes a bit foggy. But one of the questions you asked earlier about how race, rally is different, mm-hmm. um, I will say, and, and that's something that, that I, I really stood out for me when I was there now, is that 
the way that the the at least the, the road books that I've done and seen in the U.S. and written in the U.S. compared to the road books in South Africa is is very different. And the main difference is you guys put the just the necessities on right, um, and the kind of the theory behind that is that it's safer because you have less tulips. Um, on this side, and it's just a cultural thing, I guess, we try and put in as much, de- like every side road, every gate, every this, every that. You know, you you make the road book as complicated as possible because you want the guy to to kind of be looking all the time and be confused. And it was something that being exposed to that on the U.S. side, like, you know, I think definitely changed my style of road book making because it's a the safety concern is a very valid point you know if i have to turn only in 20 k's i might as well just put the tulip that's a right turn in 20 k's on and not put the five crossroads in the in the 20 k's in there because they're not relevant mm-hmm. so i would say as a style the u.s road books are are very it's more minimal and, and, and it kind of gives you more important information where the road books we have this side. And again, it can change. You know, that's why I love the sport because I, you learn every time I go and do a road book in a different country, a different continent, you learn how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, here it's definitely busier. It's a busier road book. Uh, but then again, that comes with experience. You know, if you, if you talk to any experienced rally rider, they disregard those notes anyway and they just go and they mark what's the important ones. Mm-hmm. So I guess we give you more work. Yeah. <laughs> That's what South African road books are more work, but definitely the the idea of the safety thing is something that, that grabbed my attention, you know, cause I, I spoke to Skylar about it and I think to Mason as well. And they're like, you know, why would you want to look down five times if you need to look down once? And, and that makes complete sense. So mm-hmm. I really like that, that, that idea of it. Yeah, how they, how they space it out a little bit. And that's, and so there's, there's a few things with that, right? So I like, I changed my studio around here. And so I, I'm literally staring at a road book that I, it's a uh, stage, stage two from the 2017 Baja rally. And okay. you know, you're looking at, you know, I'm, I literally stare at this road book and what we were talking about earlier, you know, the, those golden nuggets, the, the, the ones where it's like, okay, this is a section that I'm going to get a chance to really open up the bike and really ride fast for a very long period of time. Um, well, it just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it, man. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I'm looking around and it's hard to spot, you know, it's not every, cause a lot of the notes are less than a kilometer between them or eight yep. right at a kilometer or there's a couple that are you know right off that that are like six kilometers okay that's a little bit more of a ride but the the main i think that what i'm really getting at is is that either way this road book or a road book over there is gonna look intimidating to the first person the first time you see one but once definitely once you're there you know once you take your first note and you go okay well this is the starting line oh okay well uh, 850 meters in, I'm going to come up to a fork in the road. Once you're at the fork in the road, the note makes sense. And I think that exactly. maybe, maybe people are used to seeing things on a map. So then they look at the road book and they go, uh, yeah, this is way too much, but there it's like first, I guess like many things in life, right? We're just overthinking it and, and, mm-hmm. and not realizing that it's right in front of you. And, and what you're saying, I agree with too, is like, it's 
easier to ride faster and safer when you're keeping your eyes up and then not constantly looking down and and mm-hmm. constantly looking down means you could miss a detail you know you could literally ride right by it and not even notice it because you're mm-hmm. paying attention to the wrong thing so it, it, it's an interesting that, concept you know how that, that's something that i i think that i've taken away from me racing and building road books you know i, I love building road books and i think the one thing that that i've that i've lacked in racing is to make it better and faster for me i love objects um and i i almost mark objects on a road book almost more than the route because it's like an affirmation you know i I used to mark them in in blue i think so you know if i put a, a windmill or a gate or a ruin or a house or whatever you know it's because it's in your peripheral you can go much faster because you can see that thing a long time off. You know, I like even in Sonora, when you have a cross or when you have a power line, you know, any object, if I see the object five Ks down the distance, I know that, you know, whatever the notes are between these things, I'm going to end up there. So I can actually, relax a bit and try and focus on riding and going a bit faster because I, I know where I'm headed. Uh, of course, I'm still looking at the roadbook, but it just gives you that, that bit of breathing room. So, so personally as a roadbook maker, I love objects. You know, I, I want that affirmation every time I cross an object, I want to know I'm on the right spot. And that's a quick glance down to see a, a burned out car or a ruin or a bus or whatever. It, it's bigger than, than the road. So it's much easier to affirm that I'm on the right track. Yeah. And and that's, you know, and it's interesting. So that is for those, you know, for, I haven't said it in a while, but for those playing the home game, that's the whole thing is like it's. Once you get into and you start seeing the road books and how they are, and we, we talked about this with like uh, on with uh, Tony Palandrani a few episodes ago, and it was basically you're you don't know where the waypoint is going to be. It's going to be on the inside of the wash or the outside or right in the middle, you know, but then you start to see is like, OK, they put it in the inside because the inside was a smoother line. And then you catch that a couple more times and you go, okay, so this guy, the riding style is low energy. You know, he's not a very aggressive rider and, and, and wants to expend less. So then you start to pick up on that and you go, okay, so I got to look for the easy way more or less. And that's going to keep me on track. And so the same it's thing getting, with that, you know, there yep, it's, it's getting into the head of the road bookmaker. Mm-hmm. It's it's decoding the road bookmakers thing and, and what you say is one hundred percent spot on. What I have found and uh, you know that is something that uh, is is really a great way to catch out riders. Not that I go for that. I, I don't try and catch out riders, but I've had this experience on a, on a, on a few races. He said. If you have different road bookmakers on one race, you know, that really throws you out because you just get into the vibe of, like you say, let, let's use this imaginary low energy road book uh, or rider making the road book, you know, and then after three days, you throw in a road book that, that somebody else had made. I tell you, you must see how the guys get lost, you know, because it's the subconscious. You just immediately assume that, okay, it's going to be the same. 
And it takes you about, I would say, 100 Ks to figure out that, whoa, 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 this is not the same race anymore. This is not the same guy that made the, the previous three road books. Um, so that is, as an event, if, if, if I ever do organize a rally, which is not something that I think is likely to do, I prefer the road books, I would definitely get different people to make different stages because yeah. I think that would throw you out completely. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and for those that, it, okay, if you've never done a road book and, and you're curious as to what that's like is if you have a group of riding buddies, there's the one guy you don't let lead normally. <laughs> and it's usually because one of two things, they either pick a pace that's like super, super fast, or they have this thing with where they just see like the side of the hill and they just want to go climb it. And next thing you know, you're going up some goat trail trying to trying to get to the top of this hill so if you get to the top yeah and so it's the same thing with road bookmakers there's the guys that you know really love fast flowy you know they want to stay you know away from the rougher stuff and then there's the guys that go well if you just carry a little bit of speed you'll be all right you know so mm -hmm. it, it very it varies and there's those little subtleties uh that are there but you know like you said and i and i agree with you you know and i think that that's just good roadbook etiquette is that hey if you have uh even if it's not a waypoint but it's a it's a it's a easter egg it's a it's a something that's solid like okay i know for a fact i'm on the right track because i am literally yep. just passing this lighthouse or this windmill mm -hmm. or this cemetery mm -hmm. whatever it is you know I, I think that that's just good roadbook etiquette making, you know. Yeah, no, I love it. I, the more the more info I can put on the roadbook, the better. I love coloring it in. You know, I've got we would I've we have stages. So our first stage is to just get the the route right. Then when we have the route, we have the directions: left, right, piste, road, tar, whatever. And then after that, that then comes the, the fun part, you know, of just adding. It's like building – it's like baking a cake, I guess, in different layers, you know. But it's that last layer is the icing for me, is putting in all the extra info because that's actually when you start – for me, when I enjoy the race, I like a detailed road book. I like as much info on it as possible. So that to me is my, my like, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy having all of the different concepts and things on it. And I always try and see what can I put on that that's more than normal or more than, than average. You know, I want to always put something extra in. Yeah. And, and and not only and, and we'll go back. So and once again, for the people you know playing the home game, when you get out on roadbook and it has been decorated like you're saying, you know everything everything is just to the T. You know the the bushes, the rocks, the whatever feature it might be. You will appreciate that the first time you hit one of those notes because you will arrive mm -hmm. and it will look exactly like what it looks like on paper. And that's what we said earlier, right? Don't overthink it. Don't look at the road book and go, Nope. You know, you're going to mm -hmm. figure it out as you move along. And as you get to it, you go, Oh, this makes sense. But what you're saying there, after you finish decorating, once everything is done and you got the icing on it, that's the biggest deal. And that's the most rewarding for the people writing the road book. And especially the newer yeah. you are. That is that feeling of knowing, you know, you come from 20, 30 Ks of not 
being quite sure, am I on the right track? And you're doubting yourself all the time. And then you just hit that confirmation, you know. And then I think that's a way, something that has been different for us because we don't have Rally Comp or we don't have Stella yeah, You know, you, you're always wondering, you know, you're always and, – and it's actually for me it was a great way of, of learning and training because you have to be on the road book, you know. If there was – there's stages where I'm like, okay, then there's a WPM here. So just to be safe, I'm going to just drive in a massive big circle because I have to get this WPM. You know, I, you don't have waypoints opening. It's just that's the waypoint. You just need to know. So th- then, then the roadbook becomes such an integral part of your navigation. And that feeling, I mean, I remember when it or it still happens to me, that's why I love it, that, that warm, fuzzy feeling of passing something after being in doubt for so long. And it's just like, yes, you know, I've got it. I'm on the right track, you know. It's just, it's like a sense of relief that you can't explain, but then also happiness and joy. And you're like, okay, I've been, I, 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 my doubt is, is and, and that's what you're saying about not doubting it, you know, just just go with it, you know. Because I think a lot of the times, especially myself personally, but it is something we try and, and, and kind of bring over at the roadbook camps is don't ride the roadbook too much. Ride the terrain, you know. Look at the terrain, see where a guy would have ridden or where he would want you to ride, and then use the roadbook as a guide. But you can immediately see a guy that rides the terrain versus a guy that rides the roadbook, you know. And, and even when I started, you know, you think that it needs to be exact, you know. it's It, it becomes a feeling, but you can't ride on exactly the meter because, I mean, you might be using a, a wheel sensor that's off or you might be riding in a valley and your GPS distance is off. So you have to you have to ride the terrain to know to understand the roadbook. But I think many of us, including me, when I started, you know, I want, I rode tulip for tulip. And many times the turn or the feature or whatever would literally just be 200 meters down the road. But I'm on the, on, on, I'm on the Odo. Why is it, why isn't there a right turn here? You know, it should be here. And I spend three minutes looking for a right turn instead of just riding the terrain and actually just going a hundred meters further and then, Oh, here it is, you know? So that's definitely something I think that comes with time, but that uh, it's a, it's a good tip for people starting out is, you know, ride the terrain as much as you ride the roadbook. Don't get stuck on the roadbook. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, in thinking about it and picturing it, because I, uh, I did, I did run across that in my first roadbook is, is that you, you start to look, you start to try and micromanage the distance and you get into trouble. And so exactly that. So if you ride the terrain and then you kind of, it's a combination, you're riding the terrain, you're looking for it. I'm like, Oh, I see a fork in the road coming up. Does this make sense to where I'm at? And you know, okay, look down. All right. Yeah, that's actually, we're, we're pretty close on the distance. You know, does mm-hmm. the rest of the note line up? Okay. Yeah, this is the way. And so not only is it your first, um, not only is it the first note when you arrive, which you usually, I, I stopped because I was like, oh my, this is, you know, I am <laughs> literally, <laughs> this is the we note, kilometers there, everything just lines up. It's like that moment, right? But then the next moment is when you start stringing notes together and you look mm-hmm. down, you see the fork in the road, you say, oh, it's right. Okay, perfect. You just, you don't even think about it. You just take that direction 
and you start developing that flow and that's the very ne- that's the next feeling you get you know it's like okay i've got this you know? so it, it definitely and then the next feeling is is that when you when you get lost which inevitably if you ride rally it's going to happen so don't panic but you know it's just it's it's a whole different you know kind of thing and and you don't this whole time never is it about you know how fast will this bike go you know and and riding over your head it's not because you could literally just like we said you got to be paying attention to the terrain and what's coming at you you're so hyper focused on not falling because you're riding at mach 30 you know Mm -hmm. that you'll literally do mach 30 right past the 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 direction Exactly. No, the, I mean, I, I wish I, we had some data on how many of us overshoot turns, you know, yeah. <laughs> because it's, you're like, oh, no, it's still coming up. Oh, it's passed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, the, it's, that's crazy. Yeah, but by the time you rope the bike in, and, and it's never on the, it's never on a fast, wide open road. It's usually on mm-hmm. the ones that are like this little, like, okay, you're going to go down this, this two track, you know, big, you know, hot off of a tdspp and and then all of a sudden it's this like faint trail to the right you know mm-hmm. and good luck seeing that at you know 60 70 <laughs> miles an hour or 100 kilometers an hour you know good luck but yeah that, that's exactly what happens and so it's it's a combination of everything and that's i think what slows it down and makes it that much more interesting then it's not like i'm just looking for the next arrow i pre-ran this i know where i need to go i'm just gonna hold it wide open you know it's it's none of that uh-huh. so no that's those nuggets we all live for yeah exactly <laughs> so what do you think to get more people into the sport what, what's your what's your take on it um, exposure, I would say definitely, Victor, as much, as much exposure as it's like, and that's where people like you come in so, so importantly, you know, you play such a big role because having a podcast, I can send it to a friend, I can send it to anybody and, and they can be like, oh, this sounds interesting. So, you know, once again, it's, it's great what you do because that's number one is exposure. And part of exposure, I think is making people understand what it is we do. That's a that's a tough one for somebody that doesn't have the frame of reference of rally, uh, because it is a niche sport. Yeah, you know, it's you know we fight for every rally rider to come into the fray. You know, it's not and somebody doesn't take it up lightly. It it's it's a big commitment. Mm-hmm. So definitely exposure, bringing down the cost, um, and I, I think with exposure goes making realize making people realize it's not as hard as they think so exposure and and making it not easier but clearing up some of the misunderstandings to me is part of exposure and then the next thing is cost i mean uh, the economic or economic issues i mean it's all over the world i mean it's in south africa it's in the u.s it's in Australia, it's in Europe, it's expensive, you know, it's, it's difficult, and not even just rally riding, just to ride a bike these days is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we have to live, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to survive if I can't ride motorbikes, you know, it's part of my, of who I am. So you, if we can bring the cost down, and I know everybody, I mean, every event organizer I know in the US and in South Africa, they focused on, on doing this. So maybe we should shift it around and say, look guys, anybody that owns a rally bike, you know, support the event organizers, you know, Mm-hmm. Support Baja, support Kota, support uh, 
Sonora. I mean, these guys all go out on a limb and they take terrible uh, financial risks to put these events on, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the hope that we support them. So I think coming together and, 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 you know, every event organizer does so much for the sport in, in his own way, you know, that our part should be to support them and to say to them, look guys, we, we coming to the party and because they not, they, I don't know a single rally organizer that makes money. <laughs> You know, that's a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a sport that you can make money in. It's for the love of it. So the more we can support them, you know, I think the bigger the sport would get. You know, so uh, a shout out to all the event organizers, you know, that that goes through this and 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 the stress, man. I mean, it's so much stress and worry to put all these events. You know, I I think they age ten years every year yeah. just from putting it up. So. So shout out to them for doing it, and 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 maybe how we can grow the sport is to get our buddies to, to do it. And you know that's something that I've I've really picked up in the US. Is for instance the Canadians. You know, every Canadian brings a friend to a rally. I don't know if you've noticed that, mm-hmm. but the the Canadians really grow the sport because they they never come alone. They always bring a friend that's never done it, mm-hmm. and then that friend brings somebody that's never done it. And I've always thought that that's such a a beautiful way of, of doing it because with every race they expose somebody new to it, you know? So maybe, maybe that's something we can take upon ourselves is to say, every time we enter an event, let's take a buddy with, even if we have to twist the arm a bit <laughs> yeah. to, to come and do the event with us. Uh, it, you know, it would be, it would be really interesting to like say, okay, well, you know what, as even if it's just as support, <laughs> Right. That they're that they're coming and they're going to be the ones helping drive the rig and, and going to be hanging out in the bivouac just so they can kind of see the culture. But then mm-hmm. a step further would be the organizations saying, you know, I don't know. OK, we'll just if, if in a perfect world. Right. If the organization said, if you have a friend that's interested in riding, we've created a 20 kilometer stage that they can ride and you guys can do, or they're welcome to go on this shakedown stage with you mm-hmm. before the rally gets started. Right. Cause yeah, like most a pre-run stage almost. Yeah, exactly. And, and then that mm-hmm. way, you know, and they have that availability It's like, Hey, you know what? We're, uh, if you're new to the rally sport, you know, I, I've seen it, you know, I know that, uh, I know that Sonora rally does it and it's like, okay, for the beginners, you know, the people just getting into this, uh, we're going to do a, a, a navigation class, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to go over some basics, you know, and, mm-hmm. and open that up to the people that are interested in, in, in learning how to navigate, right. You know, even mm-hmm. if you're just the support crew or whoever it is, that way it gives a, a chance to see it. And, and you're, you're helping grow that, that side of it. I mean, to the organization, it's uh, you know, the only thing better than one entry is two, because now it makes it, I mean, <laughs> The, you know, obviously they, there, there's got to be some money involved because of the logistics and everything that it takes. But, you know, the organization's got to see it like that. Well, this is my reinvestment in because I'm going to help create another customer for, for exactly. myself. So exactly. Everybody wins. But, yeah, it, so like you said earlier, and, and that's something that's like, okay, if we all get around the table and say, okay, here's how we want to – here's what we want from the organizations is open it up so that – uh, on a shakedown stage where it's, it's, you know, it's something that the riders are going to use anyway that are participating. And if they got a buddy that is make the road book available to them, 
And if you're going to have some kind of introductory or you should do some kind of introductory class, you know, there at the Mm -hmm. event to reiterate and focus on the racers, but allow people that are that are wanting to learn, allow them to be the 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 ones in the back of the room and Mm -hmm. and see a little bit more about it. And again, it's just exposure. That's all it is. Yep. No, exposure is, is, is a big, it's the big thing. I think definitely. Yeah. Well, maybe we can, we're going to have to figure out how we can get these guys on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they're listening. Hopefully they're listening and maybe we can, maybe we should have a, a U.S. South Africa rally convention somewhere, you know, where we all get together and kick some ideas around. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe we should have it in Namibia in the dunes there. Yeah. We've got, uh, we're planning some with the roadbook camps. It's all conceptual at this point, but, you know, we're looking at making a, a international circuit with the roadbook camp. So we'll have Sonora as a training option and then we'll have the Karoo and then we're looking at bringing online Namibia mm-hmm. for the guys that really want to do some sand. We're looking at Dubai. We're looking at Peru so that we have like, almost a roadbook camp on every continent. Nice. Uh, maybe we'll have to include Australia as well. I don't know how that'll go, but yeah. um, we need to, I, I, that's kind of the long-term goal and plan and then you know people can experience different cultures because i also think that was the big thing about the dakar right i mean it it wasn't just about the race in the old days it was about and even today with with saudi it's exposing racers and people to different cultures it's not just the race and and i think that's an aspect that's getting lost a lot of the times with a lot of the new rallies whereas we you know you want to travel you want to experience cultures you want to eat different food uh you want to do all of those things because you that's that's why we do it is is experiencing something different so definitely if we can start having uh, guys join each other on different continents for different trainings i think that'll that'll make it super fun yeah absolutely and even you know even if you want to be a professional student you're going to see the world if you figure out, you know, when the classes are going on and yep. all that stuff, you're going to be able to see the world. And that's the whole thing with rally. So you could go to the Dakar, you're going to get all of this culture, but every, every rally that you go to is going to be a different culture in a different place. And you're going to get to see different things. And on a motorcycle and with road books, which is usually a road book takes the path, le- path less traveled, you know, exactly. you're really, really going to see some stuff. So. No, I, I've seen places on road books that you know I, I would never ever see as a as a as an ordinary tourist, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and road bookmakers want to show off the best that there is, so you know you guaranteed that you're going to see something a normal person or normal tourist is never going to see. Yeah. and that that's that's super cool. That's worth the money. Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> so it's a it's a memory, you know, it's a lifetime memory. Oh, I'll I'll never you know I'll never forget it was uh, when we were on our way down to uh Katavina and Steve Hengefeld uh you know Honda A team rider in Baja partner to Johnny Campbell on the bike you know on he comes in and it was always you know I always ask the same questions you know it's hey how did it go how was the stage and all of that stuff and for him to say that I've been down here racing for years a decade I'm sure and I've never been down that road or down some of these roads is means a lot i mean that's saying a lot to scotty's Mm -hmm. effort and finding these roads and talking to the the ranchers and the people the landowners and making it happen but so that just is like one more drop in that bucket or one more you know one more experience you know 
of how much different it is as a rally racer and the roads and the things that you travel and see than just the mm-hmm. guy that takes the normal signs up for the normal adventure tour and the, you know, the normal stuff. Exactly. And it gives you that edge, man. You get to say you're a rally racer. Yeah. Then, then there's that. It's, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's always a nice little feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go on adventure ride. You know, I went to race a rally. Yeah. That's that just, that's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. And then, and then <laughs> when they ask a good you feeling. to drive that and really drive it home, when they ask you, well, what's that about? And you just pull up a picture of a road book and then they go, oh. <laughs> because they don't know what it means but it just looks very intimidating yeah we actually had on uh, i think our second to the road book Karoo road book camp what i did was i actually printed an example of a road book on a t-shirt mm-hmm. and i was like you know now each of you are ambassadors for the sport you have to wear this t-shirt and you you can sit in a restaurant or in a bar or at a socialized event and you can explain to people exactly what a road book is because you you now you now you're wearing it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you can show them this is a tulip this is a danger this is a this um, and that, that's yeah people are interested in it they like yeah. they, they like something different yeah. Yeah. And they just don't, like I said, I mean, but if you look at it and you look at it, if you look at a road book and then unroll it and just start staring at it, it's, it's very hard, but you have to understand mm-hmm. that it'll make sense when you get there. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. So cool. All right, That's well, a good slogan, man. That's yeah, such a cool slogan. It'll make sense when you get there. Yeah. I love it. So just enjoy the ride. <laughs> Hold on, let me get the pen. That's going on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, thank you so, so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. I am really looking forward to, are you coming to Kota? Are you coming to Baja? Are you coming to Sonora? Where am I going to uh, see you? Baja and Sonora right now. Uh, Kota will be probably for next year. Um, and I just, I, I made all these plans and I just didn't get a chance to get the time off for that one. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm but, definitely going to see you at, at Baja um, and at Sonora. I really want to encourage anybody that's listening, guys, please, if you've always wanted to do a rally, you have time. Like, enter Baja or enter Sonora. Just just do it. Like, just take the plunge. Take the leap and uh, we'll see you guys there. Even if it is for support for your mates or something, just, yeah. just come. Come, yeah. and, come and do it and let's see how it goes i'm i'm super excited i can't wait it's like i'm coming back now from a year of not racing with my injury so i i can't wait to to come and uh, join you guys on that side of the pond of it and uh, tear it up in the sand so yeah come on over it's summer here <laughs> i will i'm here for the chrono i'm we're leaving so my daughter's in school in new hampshire so it's going to be we're back in september so we're just finishing the chrono and then i'm doing two or three races or no, not two or three one race year which is actually cool it's a duathlon it's the first duathlon of its kind in the world where you cycle and you ride dirt bike nice. so uh it's going to be interesting. <laughs> nice. So I'm doing that, and then uh, then we're heading back there. So, yeah, we'll definitely catch you in Baja, Victor. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, man. I really, uh, really you. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy your day, and uh, we will see you soon. Great stuff, man. Thanks for everything awesome. that you do. Stay yeah. well. Of course. Thank you. You too. Bye. All right. See ya. All right. So there you have it. That was Willem Avent out of South Africa, talking about some of the adventures out there and what they're doing uh, for the rally sport. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him out here. 
So uh, we almost met two years ago, uh, right before the whole pandemic started. And then uh, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get back across and we decided, you know, play it safe. And uh, and he ended up uh, working with Mike Johnson and, and running the rally comp stuff there and, and helping them out. So it worked out very, very well. But uh, either way, a lot of good stuff on today's show. So I hope you guys uh, save this one, favorite it and share it. Uh, there's definitely a lot of gold in there. And, and like I said, and, and what we talked about in this episode, if you're looking at a road book, just forget about it. You're going to, it'll make sense when you get there. Uh, and, and in the meantime, you know, just enjoy the ride, getting to each note and, and having fun. So as always, if you guys have any questions, you know, you're more than welcome to reach out, you know, send me a direct message on Instagram, uh, and I'm more than happy to help you guys get uh, started or get, at least get you pointed in the right direction. So that's the game plan. Anyway, all right. In the meantime, don't forget, keep it shiny side up. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and, of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week.